0: Welcome to the Achieve Her podcast, a podcast where we take the stigma out of success while you reach your educational and career goals. We encourage women to write their own definition of achievement while building a meaningful life. I'm your host, Bonnie Rodriguez Mortensen, and I am so glad you're here. Let's dive into today's topic. In this episode, I continue my interview with Wendy Smith, Amazon's Vice President of Insight Planning, Analytics, and Technology. In this discussion, we pivot our conversation to mindset and confidence. Wendy offers fantastic advice on choosing your educational path. This advice can help you understand why choosing your major was difficult or why your career isn't panning out exactly as you had planned. So Wendy, let's go ahead and speak a little bit more about confidence. I I was just wondering if you could just elaborate on what makes you feel confident and why you feel confidence is important.
1: Well, thank you, Bonnie. So uh, just a little bit about confidence. I think confidence is really a state of mind and uh, it's just how you feel about yourself. And then there are actually tools and ways you can make yourself feel more confident, for example. So let's uh, start with executive presence. That's actually a really good word because uh, it's a bit of a buzzword. We hear about it all the time. In fact, I, uh, I always get frustrated when someone comes into my office and said, you know, especially about a female colleague and say, well, that person doesn't have executive confidence. I Frankly feel like it's almost an excuse When they don't want to support a female Candidate or a female colleague Because it's kind of a universal thing You can throw it out there and say oh look at her she doesn't Have executive mm-hmm. you know executive president So I really want to make sure that As women we can really kind of Block that you know thing out of Our uh, block that barrier excuse me Out of you know holding us right. back So what does executive presidents Means let's just kind of go into that a little bit So um, for me Someone who has executive presence is someone who walks into the room and looks like they belong. Okay, you hold your head high, you're dressed for the right occasion and you sit there with your shoulders square like you belong there. Mm -hmm. It's someone who actually has a seat at the table. So a lot of times I go to meetings and women or more junior people just automatically sit in the back of the room like they don't even sit at the meeting table. They just kind of sit in the fringe side of the room. And some of them are actually presenters in the meeting and they relegated themselves to the lower, you know, more submissive role Mm -hmm. for no reason because they chose that. Instead of going in confidently and ask for a, t- a seat at the table, it's it's not just figurative. They should literally ask to sit at the table because they're actually presenting. Now, it's one thing if there's not enough seats around the table, you may only sit there when you're presenting and then you give up your seat for another colleague, for example, who needs a seat at the table, but I would encourage everyone. In fact, um, I had a boss who was female. She would always tell me, you know what, when you go to these meetings, please sit at the table. I, I just think as women leaders, we even if you don't say anything, I just like you to sit at the table to show a presence because that just kind of, you know, basically reinforces our support for ourselves and show you as an example for other women colleagues. So, so always <laughs> that you have a seat at the table. and. And uh, someone who has executive presence is also somebody when they speak, people listen. Mm-hmm. OK, and then, of course, that's something that you have to earn the trust from others to get that. But this is also where you want to make sure that you have the right credibility when you speak about something. Right. And uh, and this is why I think in another podcast series, Bonnie, you and I talked about being the voice of reason. Right. And this is why I think women in particular could really play that role as a voice of reason, because when you're a voice of reason, people have to listen to you. You know, they can't ignore your comment because if you actually start your comment by saying, Can I just be the voice of reason here and change our direction in this discussion? And guess what? You're the voice of reason. <laughs> Everyone has to listen to you. If they don't listen to you, they must not have reason. So, That's right. great way for you to launch yourself. So, when you speak, people listen to you. That's executive presence. And um, another thing. You can say, well, what if I don't actually have anything to contribute because it's a topic? Maybe it's just something where you're observing and not necessarily having to make, a, you know, make a, a sizable contribution. You know what? There's ways to look confident even when you don't have to speak. Even when you don't have to speak, how about nodding your head when the speaker is speaking and show your support for the speaker? You know, that makes you feel appear engaged in the meeting. Mm-hmm. Though you may not be saying anything and you know what people are going to remember you they're going to remember in my last meeting with bonnie she seemed to really support my ideas she keeps smiling and nodding her head when i say you know when i would present my key findings and i and i really feel like she's a good ally and mm-hmm. you've created this amazing executive presence for yourself just by supporting and being engaged in the meeting even if you don't have to say anything And also, uh, one thing I think we talked about also in the last series when we talked about voice of reason is you do need to find yourself a role in the meeting. You need to think about you know, if I'm approaching a meeting, what exactly is my role? You know, maybe your role is being supportive. So you, if there's a really detailed question, you're supposed Mm. to jump in. Maybe your role is to be the facilitator to make sure that, you know, the meeting keeps on time. And maybe your role is an actual presenter. And frankly, sometimes your role is to help take notes because your colleagues are presenting and they invited you to be at more of a supportive role. All of that is okay, but really think about your role in the meeting and make sure that you do it in a most excellent way, because the more you're engaged, And play your role in the proper way. It shows, again, a great executive presence for yourself that you belong and that you're acting the right way in the meeting. And then um, I want to, because if this goes out to women more, I do want to say that we should dress our part. And this doesn't mean you have to break out, you know, the uh, super formal suits in the past. But uh, just make sure that if it's an important enough meeting, make sure that you have a more business appropriate. Now, everybody's in different companies. I can tell you when I work at Amazon, if somebody comes in in a three-piece suit, we (laughs) would look at them funny because they're overdressed. The meeting, no matter who you who you're presenting to, but if if you really feel you're presenting to Jeff Bezos and the senior leadership team, and you want to put a sports coat on with a nice shirt, nobody's going to complain. They'll just say, "Hey, this person." You know, is recognizing this as a big occasion. So I would just say you need to dress your part for the meeting. But at the same time, you know, make sure you're, you know, depending on your company's culture, it's the appropriate dress. But I have to tell you, though, I have uh, talked with people in the past because Amazon's more tech company. They actually come in the baseball cap. And sports tights, and we're actually presenting. And you know, I know it's it's Amazon, so nobody care how they dressed. But I can tell you, in the same meeting, the next woman who actually came in with a more you know casual business outfit on, people really. Listen to her more because I'm sorry. The way you dress is part of your executive presence. And the woman that wore her her baseball cap and her you know and her capri tights, I actually approached her after the meeting and I said, "Look, I know I'm new to this company, and we're not about the way we dress." But I said, "Next time you have a big presentation." Think about your outfit before you come in. I said, I'm just telling you, woman to woman, as a mentor and a coach, right. you don't have to listen to me if you don't want to. And she thanked me so many times after that. She tried to lounge, buy me coffee all the time because she really learned from that. Because, you know, it is Amazon. We are very, very casual. People the dogs right. To that. You see people in flip-flops all the time in the office. But you know what? When you have a good an important meeting, there's nothing wrong with making yourself look more presentable for the day. True. Okay? And then finally, I think uh, we also had in our prior podcast where we talked about Madeleine Albright mm-hmm. with her accessories, a, a pin or if you have more conservative or more interesting jewelry, it depends on what you're presenting. So I would just say same thing. Just, you know, think about your accessories. Is, they, is it going to make you pop out? I was recently watching a podcast of an, I'm sorry, a, a YouTube uh, video of an investor day that a company was presenting. Basically it's their quarterly uh, presentation, but in that particular presentation, they were presenting the entire company's strategy. And I the CFO, instead of, all of her male colleagues had three-piece suits on, but the CFO had a black dress on with a sweater, you know, like a small light sweater over it. And the only accessory she had was a long necklace uh-huh. that goes down to about her waist. It was, you know, silver and a little bit, sparkly but i looked at her and i thought you know she dressed really smart she could have been in a suit like all of her colleagues but but she looked comfortable but at the same time confident and i really liked her long necklace as an accessory it's not overbearing but i will always remember her as having something sparkly that draws attention to the center of her body so that you're always paying attention to her and it was just an interesting choice i don't know her but since the podcast i li- i hooked up with her on linkedin oh, wow. and i sent her a message. And I said, I watched your broadcast. And I actually thought that I thought you dressed very smartly. I hope you don't mind. I know women sometimes don't like to hear people telling them how well they dress. I said, first of all, you're an amazing presenter. I thought your content was wonderful. And you did a wonderful job presenting. By the way, the way you presented yourself with your outfit was amazing. I said, the necklace was such a nice choice. And she thanked me for that because she really nice. thought about what she was going to wear. It was such a big conference. Her in front of the investors, and she could have gone with your traditional suit, but she wanted, you know, what she's I have to walk around the stage, I have a one hour speech, I want to feel comfortable. Right. She didn't want to wear her suit, and she opted with an all black outfit with just a nice necklace to kind of give a little bit of pop, so it's not too boring. And she appreciated so much that I told her I appreciated her outfit, so it's just an interesting thing. So, let's all think about these tools on how you can pull yourself together for your executive confidence. You don't have to use all of them all of the time, but hopefully, one or two of these tips could help our you know, audience to, you know, make themselves feel more confident. Right. So one of the things I also want to talk about is confidence versus arrogance. So a lot of times in my past, when I've mentored mentor other women colleagues, they would also tell me, well, I don't want to come across as being very arrogant. Right. So the first thing I want to tell you is to say, don't worry about it. You know, the funny thing is, as women, we usually tend to be too humble versus too arrogant. And the second thing I want to say is, you know what, the sad thing is society actually treats us differently than men, unfortunately. So right. if you go, a lot of, how many times have you gone to a meeting, you left a meeting where a man was being very strong and pushy, you leave the room and say, boy, that guy has a lot of great leadership. But then the woman was <laughs> being strong and pushy, they're like, oh my gosh, she's so arrogant, she's unreasonable. I, I, it's really sad, right? Um, it is. Whether or not you're a fan of Hillary Clinton, I see her as a strong woman leader who right. is frankly very pushy and the feedback on her and now Kamala Harris is very negative on the, their, their leadership style with certain group of people. When, had they been a male, people would be like, wow, great leadership. Look at how hard they push. So unfortunately, that kind of stereotype is still out there. So I would just say, you know what? That's a stereotype. We will recognize it. We'll deal with it. But um, don't worry about it. Don't worry about coming across as, as arrogant. Try to push yourself to be confident. As long as your intent is being confident, you should be able to do the right thing. Right. And the second thing is um, when someone gives you feedback. So, for example, if you're in a meeting, someone gives you feedback after the meeting and say, you know what? you are being too arrogant in the meeting. What I would always do is, and then you might be the one that's working on yourself and trying to appear more confident. You may or may not agree with that feedback. But what I would say is, you know what? Feedback is a gift. That's something I tell everyone that I work with. Feedback is a gift. Politely thank the person for their for their feedback. And what I would do is, you know what? You need to continue to fight for yourself. It doesn't mean that just one person gave you feedback. What I would do is go back to that meeting, ask the other colleagues who are also in the meeting whether or not they thought you appeared as confident or arrogant. Now, if the majority of them tell you you were being too arrogant, then you probably need to change your style and maybe you work too hard. However, if all of them said, you know what, they thought you were appropriate, that you were really pushing in the right way, in fact, they admire you for it, then just chalk that feedback as one person's opinion that doesn't necessarily have to change your whole style. But as women, we absolutely need to continue to fight for ourselves. And then here's one more thing is a lot of times when a man speaks up in the meeting, people look at them and say, boy, that's a leader. That's someone who speaks up. And then when a woman speaks up in the meeting, they say, oh, man, she just wants to get into everything, you know, and she is just so arrogant. Like, why does she want to be the boss of everybody? Right. It's just so unfortunate that the serial type is still out there. But what I want you to do is always this again goes back to our voice of reason comment is if you can. Always have that, you know, stereotype around yourself now. It's a positive stereotype to say, you know, I'm the voice of reason. People can no longer judge the way you speak up all the time in the meeting because it's okay when you're the voice of reason. There's nothing wrong with you speaking up more because you're just providing value to the business right? you're providing value to the meeting by being the voice of reason. So really think about how you speak up in the meeting and make sure that it's always a positive experience for you.
0: I love being that, being the voice of reason. That just puts such a positive spin on somebody who does have a lot to say in a meeting, and um, maybe doesn't feel like that is as appreciated as it could be. If you're the voice of reason, then of course you're going to speak up. <laughs> Absolutely.
1: Now, one of the things I want to also mention is a lot of times confident women get a bad rap. People say, oh, they're so arrogant, they're difficult to work right. with. So if you are someone who is already confident, if you, you may not be working on confidence, you might be a woman who is exceptionally confident already. What I would say is, you know what, also make sure that you address the other side of your skill set. Make sure you, that you're a collaborative and open-minded leader at the same time, okay? So that you don't get this horrible stereotype of, she's so strong and arrogant, she's gonna be hard to work with. Guess what, you can be super confident, and great at everything you do, and be a wonderful person to work with. Right. Just make sure that you balance your skill sets so that you know you're getting good press on your confidence, as well as good press on how collaborative and easy and open-minded you are to work with. Just make sure that it's a good balance for you. That's a great
0: point. That's a great point.
1: Now, I think this probably helps us maybe jump into the next topic is a lot of times, you know, in various companies, humbleness is actually a keep operating principle for various companies. Even when I worked at Amazon, uh, one of our most important um, operating principles is actually for people to be humble. So it's interesting. So I guess the, the conflict here is you're probably wondering, how are you confident and humble at the same time? Right. So how I usually think about it is confidence is feeling you have for yourself on the things that you do well. Okay, let's be honest here. I would not be very confident, Bonnie, as a professional soccer player, because that is not (laughs) something that I'm good at. However, I am very confident as a CFO, as a mother, you know, as somebody who supports my callings at church, as someone who, you know, you know, is willing to stand up for some of the principles and values that I believe in. I'm someone who's confident in my community, you know, activities and volunteering activities at the school. So those are the things that I'm confident for. And I also feel like I'm a pretty confident runner for a half marathon. Oh, wow. Not yet full marathon, but maybe put the half. So, so those are, confidence is something that you have in things that you know you do well, right? So I would say continue to keep that as a core value, as a woman leader. And then what you do is then you use language as a way to balance yourself, to show your humbleness, okay? So I can be a confident CFO. But when I go into a meeting, I can say, hey, guys, I'm here to learn. I would like – maybe I'm new to a company. Maybe I'm new to a division. I'm coming in to say, you know what, I'm here to learn. I'm here to – uh, uh, you know, accept you're teaching me about the business. I'm here to accept your coaching. I want people to reach out to me. I want people to give me feedback. I don't know everything. So I need to rely on my team to help me successful. Now, when I just made that little speech to you, that doesn't show that I'm not confident. It actually shows that I'm humble. But at right. the same time, I'm actually a pretty confident person to be willing to admit that I don't know everything.
0: Absolutely. And I think this answers the question when people ask themselves if humility is um, is a weakness, is that a sign of weakness? I know a lot of women feel that they have to show strength. That if you're humble, then it's one more barrier you have to overcome that sign of weakness or that it shows that you're too, I don't know, feminine in some way that if you're willing to be that humble. But I love your point that actually highlights your strength of your confidence that you are so confident in your and yourself that you're able to ask questions and, and, and to learn. Yeah. And then you guys know this, right? The
1: reason, you know, unfortunately, people, some kids and young people are bullies because they don't have confidence in them- themselves. They're actually the ones that are the most insecure, sadly. Right. So, and that's why they're pushy and they're being bullies. And and when you really help with the ch- child to maybe make them stop being bullying, you actually find out that they actually don't have self-confidence and people with self-confidence are the ones who reach out to to the weaker kids and to try to take care of them. So anyway, so really just think about that. Is, is For me, you can use your language, you project your confidence, you're good at what you do, be confident in that. But use your language to balance yourself, to use the way to show that you're an open-minded leader. And that's actually a good way to show your humbleness without appearing as weak. Okay? And then one more thing about confidence is I do think that you need to be flexible with your style when it comes to confidence. Let me talk a little bit about why that is, because confidence is kind of depending on your audience, if that makes sense. So let's talk a little bit about this. Now, if you're in front of your boss or your manager or a group of senior management people that you're trying to impress, I would say you need to be a lot more aggressive and really show your confidence because you're in a competitive situation. You're with superiors who are Frankly, judging you and looking at whether or not you got your stuff. So let's really be aggressive and be confident and go, you know, if there's a scale of one to 10 on how you can show up for yourself, go all the way to 10. You know, that's an opportunity for you to flex your style and be a little bit more pushy because frankly, you're in front of superiors who are looking at whether or not you're a good leader and you need to really show up and you need to make yourself shine in the right moment. Now, here's the, another thing about confidence and finding yours. You know, direct reports. Now imagine it's a totally different situation to me now. These are people who report to you. They look up to you. You don't actually want to be super pushy, right? Because they already are looking to you for direction. They are already part of your team. They already, you already have credibility with them, hopefully. So I think I would say in that case, instead of, you know, on the scale of one to 10, I would operate more at the seven to eight range. You still want to be confident and aggressive. But at the same time, what you want to really do is you want to be the guy or the woman who sets the direction. You wanna show the vision and set the direction. You don't wanna waver, you always wanna be consistent, and you wanna make sure that you're willing to admit mistakes, but at the same time, you're the person who's in charge. But it's a different kind of aggressiveness or confidence that you show for your direct reports versus, you know, where you're a more competitive situation with your bosses, for example.
0: Right. So the competition piece is the difference there. Exactly. And then the other one also is, you know, how
1: confident should you be in front of a customer? So let's say you're in a sales function or you're making a sales pitch or you're basically, you know, meeting with some customers about, you know, bringing in some new business. Let's think about the confidence in front of your customers. This is where on a scale of one to ten, again, you want to. Judging by the culture of your customer, you want to make sure that you project the right level of confidence. Now, if your customer is a nice company from the Midwest, they're very easygoing and um, more of a relaxed company, you know, don't go all the way to 10 because they will just reject your style and not willing to be willing to listen to you. However, if if you're working with Amazon, I would say go to 10 to 12 to really be pushy because that's what that company is looking for because their culture is very different. So when you think about your customer, again, be flexible and think about who you're working with, what your audience is like and what they would really, you know, adhere to according and then make sure, make sure that you make the right adjustment for your style. So what about with your peers? Now, with your peers, here's the interesting thing, right? Because your peers are your competitors, but at the same time, you probably need to collaborate with them to get things done. So again, with your peers, this is where I would say dial it down. Scale of one to 10. I would dial it down more. You still want to appear confident. So maybe this is more the six to seven range. Now, don't get me wrong. You don't want to be weak. This is where if you're too humble, they might push you around. (laughs) You don't want that either. Right. So still be confident. Stand your ground. But you know what? We're here to be collaborative. We're here to help each other. So you don't want to be too pushy because then people may not be willing to collaborate with you.
0: True. That's so true. So what advice would you give to someone about confidence? So here's something that's interesting. Um, a lot of times I've been
1: coaching and mentoring people and they ask me about confidence. I give them my whole speech about how to be more confident, all the things we talked about today. And then at the end, I always ask them this question. I said, what is the advice you would give to someone else about being confident? Mm. So imagine yourself as a mentor for somebody else. Let's say a young person comes to you and gave and asked you a question, maybe your son or daughter or a cousin or a young person in your life. Came and asked you, you know, how do I be confident? What advice would you give that person? And amazingly, people give me a wonderful speech about what they would tell person. I would say, did you write that down and did you follow your own advice? Because what I'm trying to exhibit here is everybody knows what they're strong with and everybody knows what it's like to be confident. And the funny thing is we can follow our own advice. And sometimes we're just afraid to follow our own advice. So I would encourage the listeners to actually think about what advice would you give to someone else about confidence and frankly, follow your own advice
0: you think the reason that we don't follow our own advice is we probably are seeking permission to do that?
1: Exactly. And also, I think as women,
0: a lot of times we
1: feel like we are, you know, we are worse critics of ourselves than reality. Absolutely. I pretty Everybody would look at us and say, look at this wonderful woman. She, she balances her work and her family and she does all these amazing things. And in our own mind, we're actually thinking, I have 10 things to do and I'm doing all of them terribly. And the sad thing is other people see you as an amazing woman who is multitasking and doing wonderful things. So, uh, so that's what I would say is give yourself some advice and then you'll, you're actually looking into your own soul and say, my goodness, I'm not listening to my own advice. That's true.
0: So I have I have this question um, for you. I'm wondering, um, I've just I've done quite a bit of research on women and education. And, of course, um, coming from a university perspective, I'm wondering if you can tell me if you feel that there is a connection between education and confidence in women. Yes, uh, that's a great question, Bonnie. And
1: I've been thinking about this and um, I'd like to maybe start first with education, maybe your choice when you first go into education. Okay. So um, now the way I think about education is you really need to know your passion and your strength. Right. And you need to make sure that you understand what it is that you're really going after. So if I may give a small story. So when I was younger, I was actually originally going to get my PhD in math. In fact, I had, in the BYU PhD math program and I had started my graduate courses and the reason is my mother is a college professor and my father is actually a high school principal so I always thought education would be a wonderful you know calling slash uh, profession for me but um, it's a funny story so in this graduate level math course there were only five of us because you know the number gets pretty small go those graduate courses and I remember um We had this interesting teacher who was, I have to say, a little bit of a fun personality, if you would. And he came in the very first day of our first class. He came in and wrote the final exam on the board. He said, if any of you can solve this problem, you don't have to come to the rest of the classes. Oh, my goodness. None of us could solve the problem. So we stayed. And uh, he and then he said, you know, by the way, that invitation is open for the rest of the semester. The moment you can solve the final, you can leave. And uh, so for our class, we said every month we would cover one chapter. And then, of course, at the end of the chapter, there are all the exercises. And Mm -hmm. he said, just do question number one. We'll take the whole month to cover question number one. Then I can teach you all the concepts. And he said, you know, from my past experience, takes us about a month to cover a chapter. And and the one question is very extensive. So it will be a great discussion point. So that's basically what we did. And amazingly, one month, me and my four colleagues, we did well enough that we actually ended early. And uh, uh, the teacher's like, wow, you guys are doing pretty great. You know, I, I thought it would take us a whole month to cover this question, but you're all done. So let's uh, I don't want to jump to another chapter. So let's move to question number two. And here's Bonnie, where I realized that I was studying math. But it was necessarily it was not necessarily my passion. It was a strength for me because I was a very quantitative person. Mm-hmm. But it was not my passion because I looked around at everybody like, oh, well, the teacher assigned question number one. I didn't do anything else because I did whatever the teacher said. Right. And do you Bonnie, everyone in the class did question number two. (laughs) They were getting a PhD in math because they love math. Uh, It was their passion. And they probably did questions number one through ten. Probably. Because it was it was their passion. They love math. Now, I did question number one because the teacher said so. Right. Everyone else on number two. And I realized, you know what, I was studying because it was easy for me because I math came pretty natural to me, but it was not my passion. And I probably longed for something that was more practical, something that's more real-life examples, and that's why when I switched to finance. And also, I uh, you also want to think backwards. You want to really think about what's your ultimate um, career objective, right? Because right. you need to make sure you have the right education to get there. And I know uh, some people could end up CEO for a technology company and had no tech background. Now, that does happen to a lot of people. But at the end of the day, it's easier to plan yourself if you start thinking backwards. So do you want to be uh, a university president like wonderful Astrid Tumias? Yeah. Or do you want one day, be a college professor? Do you want to be a CEO? Do you want to be a CFO? Do you want to get to, you know, mid-management level, but still have good work-life balance? Then you're happy with that kind of lifestyle. So think about what your ultimate career objective is, and then think backwards and say, what's a good major or what a good educational paths that lead you there. And then, um, most importantly, I think, uh, people always talk about personal callings. And I think you really need to think about what is your personal mission or calling? What it is that you're really trying to do? Because amazingly, when someone at work actually has so much passion for their business that they feel like it's a personal mission or calling. You don't feel like you're going to work. You're so happy. You can work 20 hours a day and you're still happy because it is part of your passion and your in your personal calling. So I would really encourage you to do that. Life is too short to work in a job where you don't enjoy yourself or work for a company where you don't feel like it's part of your personal calling. So I would encourage you to think about it earlier on in your life so that you can make the right choice. And finally, Bonnie, I think all of us, you know, hope Hopefully have family and uh, people that we respect around us. I would say go to your advisors and mentors and coaches or teachers right. and seek them out and say, you know, get their advice because they've been through things in their life. They'll give you a story like I what I just told you when I was in the math PhD program on what they've learned in their life. And hopefully that could help you as well.
0: How do we communicate confidently?
1: Maybe two things, right? So obviously there's verbal communication and then there's nonverbal communication. So if i made, I'll just start with uh, verbal first. So when you think about verbal confidence, you really need to speak like you belong, okay? You need to speak from a pers- position of power and confidence. In our prior podcast, I believe we talked about where to sit in the room to make sure that you are sitting yourself at the most strategic location in the room. I always recommend to women or men when they present to stand up. I know a lot of times in certain companies, people are casual, you just sit around the table and talk. But I always say, if you really want to get everyone's attention in the room, stand up. Because when you stand up, everybody's going to look at you. You can stand up in the front of the room, in the back of the room, doesn't matter where you stand up. You know when you stand up, people are going to look at you. So speak from a position of power and confidence. And also, um, especially when you're trying to project yourself to be in confidence, I would say don't apologize. Because okay? a lot of times people almost make too many excuses and apologies, and you're actually killing your own image as being confident. Now, this also doesn't mean that you shouldn't be humble. So, for example, if you're really late to the meeting, you should actually say, apologies, everyone. I was held up by another meeting. That's why I was late. There's nothing wrong with saying something like that. But... If you're making a presentation, someone has a question and, you, you know, you don't want to say, oh, I'm sorry, or I don't know that or, you know, don't actually apologize for things like that. What you should say is, OK, that's a great question. I don't actually have the answer with me right now. But what I could do is get back to you immediately. You see how I told them that I don't have it, but I never had to say I was sorry, because why do you have to be sorry? How can you be smart enough? Every single question in the world, right? You don't have to be sorry about anything. Exactly. But what you should say is, you know, that is a great question. Recognize them for that and take down some notes, show them that you're serious, that you will get back to them. And, you know, make sure you do get back to them quickly. There's nothing wrong with not knowing the answer. You don't have to apologize. You just have to make sure you follow up immediately. And also, um, of course, the way to show verbal confidence, frankly, is just prepare, prepare, prepare. You know, if you're if you're going to a meeting, make sure you can read the meeting material in advance if you can. If you're the presenter, make sure you're well prepared. And you know, the best way to be confident is to know what you're doing. And, you know, preparation is one way that you can set yourself up for success. So that's some of the ideas I have for verbal confidence. And then as I was thinking about nonverbal confidence, I know we talked about executive presence earlier. I- you to go back to the notes that we just talked about to really think about dressing the part, you know, project yourself, you know, make sure you look like you belong, all the things that we talked about. And um, we also talked about in the prior podcast is to make sure that you come into a meeting room looking confident. You know, you don't want to have, especially for women, don't bring your purse and your school bag and a cup of coffee and your laptop and three binders all on your hand. You just appear flustered and disheveled. Don't do that. Come in with one or two books or your laptop if you're really needed, but uh, you know, not at so many accessories that you appear flustered because you come in you know, looking so disorganized. And also um, also want to you know also one thing about verbal as well as nonverbal confidence is really to show your engagement in the meeting. So one thing about a confident person for me is always someone who's willing to recognize other people. Because if you're always trying to get the attention, maybe you're not so confident. Right. If you're in the meeting and someone actually says, you know what, this person is my colleague. I'd just like to recognize them for doing such a great job today because I really appreciate their work. Do you actually think that person is confident? You probably have more respect for that person. They may not have presented at all. But just the fact that they're willing to go out of their way to recognize someone else and give credit to other people actually shows a lot of confidence in yourself. Because you're basically saying, hey, I couldn't have done it without my team. Let me give credit to everyone else. That's confidence. And by the way, it also gets your team aligned behind you because they know that you're behind them.
0: That is so true, and I think especially as women, if you're a woman in leadership, it's so important that you that you do that for other women, that you exactly. highlight what the other the other women on your team or or even just another colleague has done to help you. Yes, exactly. We exactly. need to be more mindful of that. Well, Wendy, these conversations have been absolutely remarkable. Uh, I think we have all learned so much. There's so many takeaways. Awesome. Okay, Wendy, thank you so much. We hope to hear from you again really soon. We'd love to have Wendy back on um, when she has time because she has so much information to give us. Thanks, Wendy. Thank you, Bonnie, for the great opportunity. I really enjoyed it. And thanks for your partnership. Thanks for joining me today. Don't forget, follow us on Instagram at Achieve Her Podcast. Look for the episode post and leave a comment. Tell us what your favorite takeaways are. You'll also find our version of show notes right on our Instagram feed. They come complete with book recommendations and a Spotify playlist to correspond with our monthly theme.